This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. The following episode is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. everybody. Welcome to the show. We're excited to have an interesting chat today with Josh Stinchcomb. He's going to tell us about how he went from branded content to becoming the chief experience officer at Condé Nast. Thanks so much for joining us. From New York City, you're listening to Content Is Your Business, conversations with industry leaders and influencers covering the strategy and innovation of brand storytelling. Produced by Mouth Media Network, powered by Sennheiser, and brought to you by 24-7 Talent, the leading creative recruitment firm. Your hosts for this episode are Dahlia Strum, digital strategy and social commerce expert, Lisa Berger, senior vice president of 24-7 Talent, and Edward Hertzman, founder and CEO of Hertzman Media Group and Sourcing Journal. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm one of your hosts, Dahlia Strom, and with me is... Edward Hertzman. Lisa Berger. And we're excited to uh, have an interesting chat today with Josh Stinchcomb, the Chief Experience Officer at Condé Nast. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. So I think we we were kind of talking about it before. Um, You're doing some interesting things right now. How did you go from (laughs) branded content to Chief Experience Officer? Uh, yeah, it's it's actually not maybe as big a leap as it, it might sound. Um, you, 23 Stories is uh, a agency that we launched inside of Condé Nast about two years ago, uh, and we started with branded content. That was sort of our first step into the creative services uh, part of the of the business. Uh, but what we started to notice is that we were organically getting asked for experiential activations as part of these projects. Uh, we also, you know, have long known that events are great opportunities to capture content. Uh, so it seemed fairly natural for us to uh, expand into the experiential space, uh, sort of from branded content. And that's uh, and, and so, you know, with that as the goal, we expanded uh, the offerings of the agency. And, and in, in that, I took on a new role as chief experience officer overseeing that, that sort of now expanded apparatus. And what do some of those experiences look like? Well, we've we've created experiences for our own brands for a long time. So that's the Vanity Fair Oscar party or GQ's Man of Men of the Year event or Glamour's Women of the Year award show. So we have been in the business sort of for ourselves for quite some time, uh, and I think we're getting better and better. And now, you know, with with my group, uh, hopefully even better at um, integrating brands into those existing experiences. That's that's one piece of it. Uh, but uh, we're also seeing brands want to create kind of their own moment, uh, kind of a pop-up experience of some kind. Uh, and so that's uh, another big part of, of our growth strategy is these bespoke activations for brands. We're doing something actually uh, next week with Lincoln uh, down at the South Street Seaport, which is an immersive um, kind of three-day reimagined ride and drive with programming and multimedia sort of sensory experience, et cetera. So uh, I think marketers are getting more adventurous, um, uh, which is exciting. So I don't remember uh, hearing about a CXO watching Mad Men. So this is a relatively new title, new role. Um, 
what does it mean? What's a day in the life of, of Josh? I'm not even going to try to say your last yeah, name. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think it, it, yeah, it is, it is a, a, a new title, certainly, if not a new role. Um, I think, um, you know, marketers are thinking more in terms of how do I create great experiences for my customers? And I think that experience can come in the form of great content, a great event, uh, potentially a, a collaboration on a product itself. Um, so, you know, we, we tend to think about experiences fairly broadly like that. And that's the origin of the role, because my, my job is to create culturally relevant experiences for partners. It's busy to start with. Um, you know, I, by virtue of being uh, an agency born out of Condé Nast, we have a ton of partners in the company that we interface with, right? So um, all of the editorial teams of our 22 titles, uh, the business teams of those titles, our technology teams. Uh, so there's a, a huge number of stakeholders that go into creating great experiences for brands. So a big part of, of my job is interfacing with and fostering uh, relationships with all of those people that I just mentioned. Um, and, and because this is relatively new, you know, we're sometimes kind of building the process in, in real time sort of a, a live live fire situation where uh, we're doing something for a partner that has never been done before inside of Condé Nast, so there isn't really sort of a protocol for how that how that should go. And on that note, I, ha I was having some really good conversations today with the new Verizon studio that's down on 140 West Street, and they were talking about these experiences that um, it's very exciting to have these activations, like the fight just happened, right? And there hasn't been a fight that has been on TV in what, since 2015 or something, but they want to make sure that it's like productized and scalable and repeatable so it's like built within to their business instead of the one-off situations is that something that you're also trying to do yeah for sure i mean i think you know these this kind of marketing where you're creating original content with partners or you're you know co-developing an event that happens in the real world is incredibly labor intensive um and so if it's to do it once it it's harder to justify. Right, exactly. So, you know, every time we do something, we're both refining our process. So doing something like it again is easier. But we're also with our partners thinking about how we build something, a platform that has legs, right? Mm -hmm. It has the opportunity to be a perennial thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, it's, it's, you hear a lot how advertisers are looking to work with sort of fewer, bigger partners. Uh, and I think that's because the kinds of things they're trying to do now are much more complex than just running advertising uh, adjacent to content. So we all have to be thinking about how we make these things scalable and repeatable, or, or it's not a sustainable business, frankly. What, and what justifies success for one of these events or experiences? Um, you know, it, it, it depends somewhat, you know, on the, on the objective of the client, but there are some I think common KPIs that, that you can point to in almost every instance. And, uh, you know, I'll oversimplify it by saying, you know, the goal is to create something that's immersive, memorable, and shareable. And again, I think that applies to great content or a great event. You know, it's immersive in the moment, right? People spend time with it. Um, it has some emotional, uh, you know, connection to the to the consumer. Uh, that's important and measurable, right? It's measured by time spent, by uh, return visits, by actions, etc. Um, you know, we talk about things being memorable, something that they take with them, something that impacts some future action. So, you know, this is the kind of thing you get at 
typically through uh, a study, right? You know, are you more, more or less likely to purchase this company's product, et cetera? Uh, and then shareability is also a very measurable thing. Um, you know, are we able to build a bigger audience for a piece of content or for an event because the people who, um, you know, initially saw it, share it with friends, sort of that, that, that earned media promise. So um, again, we, we think in, in those broad terms of immersive, shareable, Sorry, immersive, memorable, and shareable. But then beyond that, there are sometimes very well, how specific do you, How do you APIs. quantify that? I mean, yeah. I remember back when I used to buy print advertising, you know, they, the, the ad rep would come by and say we have X million of copies and it gets passed around four times and this is the, the, the audited circulation and this is the per page rate. And if you bought four, you got a discount or today this is the CPM. Um, when you're talking about these experiences, how do you put a price tag on it? It seems that A, as Lisa said, it's very labor intensive. Yeah. So how do you back out? How do you, what, when you're trying to say these are the KPIs, how do you put a price tag yeah, around no, this? It, it, events in particular are hard to price. I mean, what you just described, you know, kind of a traditional medium like magazines, you know, are sort of measurable in some way, but in some ways totally not measurable, right? I mean, you know how many issues you print and how many you put out on newsstands, you don't necessarily know who read opened a, what right. page and how many pages were read. And um, I, I mean, I think magazine advertising is very effective, but it's actually not that measurable. Um, you know, when you're, we're talking about branded content, it, it, the market is getting much more sophisticated in terms of measurability. Um, you know how many people watched a video. You know how long they watched it. You know if they watched it long enough to see the mention of your brand, et cetera. Um, you know, depending on how you're tracking things, you know actions they take after it. So from a from a measurability perspective, I think branded content is probably uh, even more precise than than things like magazines. Events are a little harder, right? You know how many people are there. Uh, but the, the true value, uh, the full value of an event, I think, can only be calculated when you take into account press and, uh, you know, people talking about it with their friends, and then you're getting into kind of those soft metrics again. So um, I think pricing sponsorships and events is still a fairly, um, and I don't want to say underdeveloped market because it's been around forever. It's It's a uh, it's a fairly subjective market. So I was just going to say, I think that I understand the value of why people attend the events, but why do you think that sponsors want to be a part of these events? Yeah, it's it, well, because people want to attend them. You know, I think it all follows from consumer interest and behavior. Although, you know, I think about the impact of digital on events because it, it almost seems, you know, counterintuitive that events are having, you know, kind of a moment again, given the increased digitization of, of uh, the consumer base. But I actually think it's because of that in two ways. One, it's almost this reaction to living sort of inside of your screen all the time. You sort of desire for human contact. I think there, there's sort of a value in that that uh, is almost a reaction to uh, how much time is spent digitally. But then, ironically, it's also the fact that so much can be shared digitally from an event uh, that events are easier to justify for marketers now because it's not the thousand people that went there. It's the hundred million people that are the friends of the thousand people that went there, you know, that saw their post from the event. And there's a lot of research that shows there's, you know, there's movement on product consideration and purchase intent, just having seen sort of a friend at an event that's sponsored by someone. So well, I, I think, think that's why it's so, so, so big now. Agreed. And I think both of you are in the same situation. You have readers every single day, right? Your publishers. And now you have a big event coming up. You've got events going on all the time with your brand partners, right? And now it's finally a time to have that connectivity that's outside of the digital space. Yeah, we've seen and the biggest growth really in our event business. Yeah. Oh, I think I look, I think consumers are valuing them more and more. And and again, as a consequence, marketers are also 
for for us as the the producer of the event, it's a dual revenue business, mm-hmm. right? It's not just sponsorship revenue; it's consumer revenue. Um, you know, we're increasingly charging consumers to come to these events, and that's a, a totally different revenue stream um, for us. So that it's interesting for that reason, and I think people are willing to pay. Oh, that, more the, than you would expect, mm-hmm. you know, especially if there's a B2B sort of component oh, and, to it. And the, in the B2B space, I think the opportunity to interact with potential buyers, I mean, they'll pay any price really to get in a room with 500 qualified uh, prospects. I totally. mean, you can't – where else do you get that type of FaceTime? So, it's, it's hugely valuable and expensible, which is important. Mm-hmm. You know, right. we often think about that you know, as we're developing you know, events, even if they have more of a consumer uh, sort of facing uh, – agenda at, at, at the forefront, is there sort of a trade or B2B element? Is there sort of an expensible ticket, you know, right. that lives in, in somewhere inside of here? People are obviously a lot uh, more tolerant of, of high ticket prices when their company's footing the bill. Even our business, you know, we're in global recruitment, but we have literally, this is one of our highest growth categories. And so we've seen this across every category from beauty, fashion, retail, CPG, you know, this is exactly where um, this, the investment is happening, and it's across the experiential space. Mm. Yeah, no, no question. The technology, I mean, it's, it's, for sure. We are, we are all in on that point of view, for sure. So first, I want to thank you so much for bringing us this awesome snack. Um, I think yes. we're going to take a quick break and go to snack time. And we kind of do that to break bread with our guests and, uh, I don't know, have a little bit more of an informal chat. So thanks for bringing this in. Do you want to share what you show, you brought in? <laughs> uh, sure. So uh, I, I won't say it's hugely personal to me, but it is uh, relevant to, to Connie Nass, or at least where we are. So we moved down to One World Trade. Uh, it got, it's been a couple of years now, uh, and uh, it's fantastic down here and, and getting a lot better, just the neighborhood in general. Uh, one place I like in particular is Le District, which is sort of a, a French version of Italy uh, that's uh, sort of in the, the base of our building. And so I brought some French cheeses and breads literally will break bread uh we're literally yeah, gonna break bread yeah, or was... crackers anyway i don't know if we ended up with crackers or bread but yeah amazing yeah thank you thank you so much that was so thoughtful love italy should we uh should we share this we should get in it yeah all right we're gonna jump to a quick break uh we uh we need to sit here and actually eat some cheese right now so <laughs> we're gonna take a minute and we'll be right back You can follow us on social media at Content Biz Show. That's Content B-I-Z Show. And episodes are available on our website, contentisyourbusiness.com, and wherever the best podcasts are found. You can also check out all of the other Mouth Media Network shows at mouthmedianetwork.com. And 24-7 Talent connects top brands and agencies with exceptional creative, marketing, and digital talent every day. Whether you're looking for the right position or to hire the very best talent, 24-7 boasts more than 500,000 vetted and interviewed freelance and full-time candidates. Experience the difference at 247talent.com. That's 24-S-E-V-E-N-Talent.com. to content is your business we're still here eating some uh, cheese and crackers probably some of the best crackers i've ever had what are these, those these are good crackers they're they're condé nast crackers they're fancy crackers uh they came from the district actually cars which i don't think is french i think it's english but the cheese but is french the cheese. is it Anna, it's, it's Anna all about approved? the cheese Anna, I, I can't so speak i can't speak for her on it's this all, one. Yes. Yeah. oh yeah that's right you don't yeah so we're oh, reverse, right? Okay. So we're reverse. Yes. So I'm enjoying the crackers, and you're and enjoying, enjoying the, the cheese. cheese. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're all enjoying the cheese. Yeah. So I want to just pivot a little bit. Um, 
Maybe a little bit of a tough question, okay. but someone's got to ask it. Um, did 23 Stories, uh, was it started uh, more as a response to declining advertising revenue and this is a means to make up for it? Or do you think that traditional agencies maybe haven't advanced or are kind of missing the ball or not catering to the market and this is a new revenue uh, stream, um, combination of both? Yeah, well, look, I mean, regardless of whether other revenue streams are declining or increasing, we're always going to look for new revenue streams that we think we can be competitive in, right? Um, clearly, print advertising is declining across the industry, and we're not immune from that. Um, our digital advertising has been growing um, you know, substantially for, for a number of years now, and that continues. Um, so... Yes, in part, it was a look. It was an attempt to diversify revenue, but it was also a response to what we saw marketers were going to need. You know, um, I think the 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 notion of disruptive advertising online, of sort of forcing people to sit through sort of traditional advertising online, is 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 getting harder and harder because of ad block and ad avoidance and everything else. Right. So consumers are in more control of their environments, especially online, and so marketers have to kind of earn attention rather than just buy it. Uh, and when you need to earn attention, you have to be interesting. You know, you have to tell interesting stories that people want to spend time with. And, you know, I think we and a lot of other media companies recognize, like, that's our business, right? We're in the business of writing interesting stories that consumers want to spend time with. Uh, and if that's what marketers need to do now, we should be able to do that for them. So does it cannibalize uh, some of the traditional? Um, uh, look, I, I think traditional digital dollars for sure, and, and maybe even print dollars are are moving into these budgets that are allocated for this kind of thing. So is it all additive to the things that advertisers used to do? Definitely not. They're shifting budgets. There's no question. But if we don't have an offering that's uh, that sort of aligns with what they increasingly want to spend on, then we're going to lose share. Are so those it, budgets under the same? So if you're CXO and then you have CMO and then you have the COO and CIO and everyone's kind of joining for like where where and if it's content and marketing and experience like are they falling into the same um division per se now I or can, is it in shared? The, well i can i guess I'll, I'll kind of hypothesize about sort of where the budgets are coming from from an advertiser's perspective you know because that's interesting to me um you know i think they have historically they had creative budgets and they mm -hmm. had media budgets right right and exactly. creative and now creative it's budgets like blurred went, line a little yeah, bit it's it's, right. it's, it's it's sort of getting a little fuzzy but that's an opportunity for us because historically we would never compete for a creative dollar right mm -hmm. those were going to creative agencies uh maybe pr agencies social agencies in, in in the more recent history and then there was media budgets which went to people like us right, right mm -hmm. for the distribution of those assets uh, and that's what we were competing for and still do uh, but now, since we're creating more content, uh, since the marketing that they need, the advertising they need is beginning to look more like editorial than traditional ads, you know, we have an opportunity to take some of that creative money, right? So I think there's a shift on the buying side from all the money going to sort of creative agencies. Now some of it is being earmarked for content producers. Uh, and that's an opportunity for us. So, you know, while media dollars, I do think, are being cannibalized and 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 in, in, in large part are probably declining overall, uh, we have an opportunity now to tap into creative dollars to offset that. And, and do you think that, you know, one, one thing that I deal with and I worry about is for a company like Condé Nast, I'll say 
you probably so much of the advertising is managed by third party agencies. Yeah. And so I imagine a lot of the ad reps and business development directors have excellent relationships with the with the agency world. Now you're actually going out and competing against some of your friends that were responsible for delivering a lot of dollars to the publication. So Though you're a, it's a different silo, do you feel that are you getting some 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 backlash from these agencies saying, "Hey, you know, you're, you know, kind of biting the hand that feeds you"? Yeah, no, that's it's definitely a, a, a consideration. I think everyone's kind of getting in everyone's business a, a little bit, and so you know you got to get comfortable with with knowing that people with whom you do one kind of transaction are also trying to eat your lunch, you know, over here. Uh, so that's that's largely, I think, a reality of the business, the media world, and the business world at large. But th- that's a factor for sure. You know, we're we do do a lot of business through media agencies, certainly less so creative agencies. We never historically, you know, interfaced with them all that much. Uh, but now we're trying to provide some of the services to their client that they provide. Um, so. I kind of want to pivot this conversation a little bit because I feel like there's a whole opportunity that we're not chatting about. Talk tech to me. <laughs> um, what are you guys doing in terms of technology and what does that future trajectory look like for you guys? Yeah, look, I think a lot, you know the tech conversation for us is very much aligned between what we're doing for editorial and what we're doing for branded content, Yeah. right? Um, you know, as a company, we are obviously forced to use technology in new ways, to understand technology uh, in new ways, to forge partnerships with technology companies in new ways. Uh, because if you don't, you're not going to get your content out to people. Totally. You know? uh, but all of that learning that comes from forging a relationship with a Snapchat or a YouTube uh, and understanding what works in those environments is directly applicable to our branded content business. And in fact, that's a, a huge advantage that content companies have in this agency world because we create the same kind of stuff for hundreds of millions of consumers every day. Like it's our day job. And so now we're doing that for clients who need to do the same thing. And I think, you know, traditional ad agencies are really great at, at, at certain things, you know, making 30 second spots. They don't have a day job where they're also trying to attract and keep the attention of hundreds of millions of consumers, the very same people that their that their clients think about. So, you know, to stay alive as a editorial business, we have to understand and forge partnerships and technology in a way that is sort of far more imperative than a traditional ad agency would. And that's a huge competitive advantage. And your AR initiative, what does that look like? What what kind of value is that bringing and how is that going to tie into? Yeah, we've, you know, we, we've, we've done a handful of, of projects with some of our brands to create, you know, um, AR, VR experiences. We just launched a uh, a, a new sort of virtual reality dating show. Um, I think it was announced today. So, you know, we've been experimenting in this Can space. Can I get on that? Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. You'd be, you'd be great in virtual reality. Um, got a face for virtual reality. I'm no, just kidding. You'd be good. Um, you, you'll see my face in virtual <laughs> yeah, reality. That's true, so but I, you can I, augment. And aug- that's what I do, augmented reality. So make myself a little thinner. Um, so, um, yeah, we're, we're definitely experimenting with that editorially. Um, to a certain extent, you know, in branded content, um, you know, it's still relatively high priced and, and sort of low reach compared to other things we could do. So, you know, when it's an advertising initiative, it, it can be a little harder to justify unless you're really breaking new ground and there's like a PR opportunity around it. Right. Um, so I think it's 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 still a little bit gimmicky to a certain extent uh, on the on the advertising side. But 
you know, certainly something that, that we're looking at. We did one uh, interesting project, like a, uh, Doug Lyman, who's a big um, Hollywood director. We did a piece, a, a, a film with him that was uh, sort of the first uh, augmented reality sort of feature, you know, scripted series. Um, and uh, we integrated Lexus into it. So, you know, we're beginning to find ways to to, to bring partners into that. Everyone seems to be getting into film. I mean... It's it's Hollywood, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like that's that's where it seems every conversation has been going from New York Times, Cbrand City. You know what I mean? Look, Amazon, uh, Amazon got an Oscar uh, for yeah, uh, no, the, yeah, Amazon and Netflix. Those guys are yeah. no joke. That's they're doing some. We we have partnerships with those guys. We have a big we have a hit on Netflix called Last Chance You that's going into its third season. So, you know, Conan Nast is also in the the, the football. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's I a love that show. Project. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to get renewed again. Uh, yeah, which, that, that coach is crazy. Yeah, yeah, third season coming up. The uh, um, so yeah, we are you know as a company we're in the the television and movie business as well. Um, you know that was actually born out of an insight that you know there have been something I don't know the exact number but dozens of major major movie hits that were originally Condé Nast articles. You know, in GQ or Vogue or New Yorker, and historically they would just sort of happen around us. And so now we're taking a much more proactive role in um, you know taking the that IP and bringing it to. Uh, to it's film and TV yeah. projects, yeah, definitely. That's a whole other arm of of our of our. Um, so how does video a small effort? independent uh, publisher uh, compete with? You know, it seems like the, the they can't. No, the, the barriers <laughs> yeah. to entry seem very easy. You know, all you need is a WordPress uh, site and a you know the ability to write. But it seems that that's not the case. Really, it's it's much more complex. Yeah. No. Look, I think you know anyone can start to create content, and 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 in that fact, there's you know kind of a, a leap that says. You know, a big giant media company is can be threatened by sort of a guy in his basement. And to a certain extent, you know, a hit can come from anywhere. Great content can increasingly come from anywhere. That said, to compete in the advertising market, it's hard as an independent uh, because advertisers, as, as, as we talked about a, a couple minutes ago, they're looking for fewer, bigger partners, right? Uh, they want to do more ambitious projects with people that have scale and sophistication and depth and reach. Uh, and so being part of a company like Conde Nast that, that has 22 titles and all of these different platforms is a, is a real advantage. And I think it should uh, be 23 because I, I miss de- I, I miss details. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that's a moving number, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've we've been adding to it. We bought Pitchfork not too long ago. So the, the number of titles changes. The, 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 the name 23 stories is a reference to the 23 floors. That's harder to move. But um, uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, you know, there are a lot of advantages to, to being part of a big media company, especially when you're negotiating with tech platforms, uh, when you're dealing with big advertisers who want to do sort of fewer, more ambitious projects. Um, so it's it's hard to be an independent. And I, I think you'll continue to see consolidation. So I'm going to throw this out. Lisa, maybe you want to answer this. Um, what advice would you give to, to students that are that are coming up, you know, what are the jobs that you need? Is it is it still strict journalism, or should they be looking at other aspects of the industry? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, I, I would, and I want to tag onto that, yeah, yeah, and, sure. and, and I recommend also. starting off as an influencer. Is there something to be said about that, and then getting into a larger uh, content related business? Uh, yes, become famous. Uh, <laughs> that's my advice, and uh, everything else will follow. Um, you know, it's interesting as it relates to journalism. Uh, I'd like to think, and I think to a certain extent this is true from some exposure I've had, that 
you know, journalism schools, as an example, are thinking about branded content as a part of the curriculum and a part of the life of a journalist, because it is going to turn more into that. I think, you know, great content creators are always going to be in demand. Uh, but I think, you know, the most marketable ones will be ones that, you know, understand how to work with brands in some instances, um, and how to, you know, create you know, when you have sort of total editorial independence, but also create something interesting when you are working with a partner who has a specific agenda and you've got but to I keep it interesting. But I notice there's a difference so because I, there's the, the journalists that yeah. want to win a Pulitzer and go out there and be on the ground, it's a very different person in personality than wants to write ad copy or exactly. wants to be behind the scenes. There's no byline to that. Right. Yeah. I, well, that's not 100% true. I mean, we, we, we do a, a fair amount of branded content that does have a byline and, and we work with some of the same editors and writers who work on, on our editorial. Um, and I think the more, uh, the more well, maybe a metaphoric. Yeah, a lack no, of a metaphoric I, I, I hear, line. I hear what you mean. Look, if you're, if your only ambition is to sort of, you know, change the world and, and cover, you know, kind of the, the things going on, um, you know, uh, in all corners of the globe, you know, maybe, maybe a pure journalism is, is still a, an ambition and a path. But, um, you know, I think the, the quality and the ambition of branded content is increasing too. And, and uh, I think about it less as, hey, you have to write ad copy and more about, hey, to be able to do this really cool project, you know, we need a partner, a patron to underwrite it. Um, you know, and we're going to collaborate on a theme, but we're still going to make it super interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I don't even know if this was branded content, but the defiant ones that show on HBO, they could have, and maybe was branded content for Apple, right? You know, right. in some ways that's like Apple making the best ad ever, right? By telling this amazing story about these two guys that ultimately sold their company to Apple. You know, that's the, you know, again, whether that was or wasn't, that's like the holy grail, right? That you, you know, a, a partner in that instance can help you underwrite something that's amazing. Is it, is it a convergence of almost a writer meets a creative uh, director, like, meets like a project a, manager, meets an account executive? Yeah. I find the obstacle that even in my organization, writers want to write. And I'm like, well, that's not really the job anymore. You have to interface with your advertisers or your partners and you have to understand what they want because – it's also the passion of like history and research that goes behind all of this because like you have to get behind the brand into the story and to be able to tell the story. It's not just that. Yeah, no, that you, you bring up a great point, which is, you know, all of a sudden you need to have all of these skills, right, to, to do all of the things that are required. You know, having all of those embodied in a single person is you know, is probably rare and, and probably always will be somewhat rare. Um, but you can build an infrastructure where, you know, all of those things coexist. And that's what we have, for example. So we've got, you know, strategists who are pretty creative people, but they work with clients, right? And they their expertise is understanding what a client's trying to achieve and translating that into a brief for our creative team. And then our creative team's job is to create something fantastic you know, for consumers within those parameters. And then we have a project management team that, you know, once sort of you're moving into to activation, they keep the trains running on time and the right piece of content's done at the right time and published in the right place and the KPIs are being optimized against, et cetera. So it is a very much a collaboration between all of those aspects that you just mentioned. Uh, you know, we have the luxury maybe of having them in different people who work together. But, you know, each one of those people has to have some sense of the the whole 
process, right? So our creative people are, 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 are sort of business-minded, are client-minded, and our strategy people are kind of creative, you know? So I think it's, it, it, everyone has to be a little bit more of a sort of five-tool player or whatever. So Josh, that's exactly like a perfect recap. I mean, this is exactly what we've been talking about, Eddie. Dahlia experiences from the very beginning with Bloomberg coming on and talking to us about even um, them going to a consultancy agency model and what is our next hire chief experiences officer with these two skills or multiple skills that you're talking about it really is coming from people's experiences and I think that's um, what everyone needs to hear and know um, and then the quality piece as well so thank you. So speaking of experiences, we want to hear more about your personal experience, which kind of leads us to the next part of this segment, and that's what's your story? So we'll talk a little bit more about the personal side of things. We'll be right back. Greetings, Mouth Media Network listener. My name is Davin Riley, and I'm willing to bet you like music. And even if my assumption is wrong, I still think you should come and check out our show, The Music Lover Podcast, where we sit down with entrepreneurs, pioneers, artists, and the unsung heroes of the music industry. Together, we'll uncover the insider perspectives on some of your favorite companies and artists as we analyze music business trends through a technological lens. Find us at The Music Lover Podcast. But remember, that's Music Lover without the vowels. M-S-C-L-V-R. Yes. We're that cool. And since you're cool too, we should be friends. The Music Lover Podcast. We'll see you there. So we're back uh, to Content is Your Business, and it's our final segment. So you know what that means. It's more about your story, and we want to talk more about your perspective and the story behind the storytellers. We have no idea what our co-hosts are going to ask, um, but we have this auto-generated number calculator. (laughs) Eddie, pick a number. 16. (laughs) Because that's your number every time. I know. My birthday is never going to change. (laughs) (laughs) Number between 1 and 20. Lisa, go. Two. All right, and mine's going to be 19. What do we got? Okay, number is nine. So I'm up. Okay. You're up. All right. So we have a millennial here okay. that does not, uh, has never purchased anything online. Like literally one of you as a millennial? Or is, this, yes. this yeah, is a pretend person. I was say. Tim. Yeah. I'm, on, I'm on the cusp. Yeah, you guys all look young. I'm on the cusp. Um, considering, given your role experiences, um, considering a job like mine, a job like yours, yeah. all about you know crafting and creating a, a very memorable, engaging, compelling experience. How do you shop? If I'm a millennial, 
Or how do I shop personally? How do you shop? You know, I, I do very little shopping, and this is going to sound, you know, kind of very 1950s, but my wife does most of the shopping, uh, and she shops seemingly exclusively and extensively on Amazon because... Hashtag wait, my life. Yeah, I mean, the number of boxes that show up at our house on a daily basis is, is, like is mind-boggling. It's every day. Instantaneous. <laughs> that suit didn't come from Amazon. No, this, no. this suit didn't come from Amazon, although Mr. Porter, I sometimes shop on Mr. Porter. That, that That's the same thing. They kind of show up the next day, and, you, and I think women have always understood this. I'm really getting myself into trouble here, but you can send things back if you don't want to keep them. Yeah, that never occurred actually, to me until you recently. Know, that's a problem, though. You never send anything yeah. back. I, that's the, that's why I do. Not I've shop always online. hated shopping for that. You no, know, everyone yeah. sends everything back, which is killing margins yeah. and killing our industry, yeah. which is. Uh, yeah, we, we don't have time to get into that, but that's my life. <laughs> but helping the po- but yet the post office still suffers. I guess because it's all FedEx and maybe it's the vendor. The the. Oh, I'm sure DHL and yeah. uh, UPS and FedEx loves this. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so how how do I shop? I sh- it's uh, God, sorry, I have to say this one again. I, I'm trying to think how I actually do shop because I really don't. Talk us through maybe your experience <laughs> yeah. with Mr. Porter. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe uh, that's the answer. That's okay. You don't shop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. you have to no, shop. No, that's, yeah. that's good. Your wife does it. Amazon, yeah. Mr. Porter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, the, and... the shopping happens, and it's done largely on Amazon. And and I I, I have discovered Mr. Porter recently, which uh, has has been a, a great way to to get clothes because I hate shopping for clothes otherwise. But I don't do a lot of shopping, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Well, that, that answers it. Yeah. So thank you. So we're going to plug in our number generator and come up with the next number. Seven? Okay. Eddie, you're up. All right. I guess that's close to 16. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand how the system works, but I, I don't either. It's, it's a uh, complicated algorithm. Bob Barker is very upset right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. So, a personal okay. question. Oh, don't worry. I make up for both of our shopping. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm a loyalist at Bloomingdale's. Uh, um, so, I mean, you seem like a pretty young guy. Maybe you're not a millennial like me, but um, what's next? You know, you already had that C-level title. Um What's what's the career trajectory for someone like yourself? Uh, that's a, a a good question. Launch I'd, a company. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, you know, look, I, I think that this this space of of branded content, branded experiences, is is still pretty nascent, um, and there's a, there's a lot uh, there's more bad work than good work, uh, and I think the 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 ultimate question of you know who's going to who are going to be the big players in the space? Is it going to be something born out of a media company? Is it going to be something, you know, an ad agency evolving in some way, I think is an open question. Uh, you know, I'd like to think I can sort of be part of the future of it, part of, of turning it into something, uh, you know, more sustainable, more scalable, because I think there's a, a long way to go. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm open to the fact, and I, I guess on some level excited by the fact that I have no idea you know, where I'll end up as a result. But, but I do think there is, uh, you know, there's something interesting in, in trying to stay connected to uh, places where the quality is improving, you know, where it's getting better for consumers and better for marketers uh, and kind of following that thread. Um, and if all else fails, I, I'd be like a history professor. Of all else fails, you got prof- Lisa right here. Yeah, you know, exactly. I just call twenty four seven and find get my next job. But yeah, well, it seems like you're in a great place. It seems like twenty three stories is really uh, ahead of the curve uh, in terms of media companies kind of branching into the branded content world. Yeah, I, li- I like to think so. It's 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 been really fun. I have to say, I've been in in the 
media business for a long time and done a lot of different things. And this is by far the, the most fun I've ever had. Yeah, after Herzog Media Group is probably number two. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> so talking about history, um, who was the biggest inspiration and influence for you while you were kind of entering your career? Um, you know, I've had a, I've had a, a, I've been really lucky to have a series of, of great bosses in this business. Um, some of whom are, are, uh, still at Condé Nast. Some of them have gone to other media companies, but uh, that's one thing I've been incredibly, incredibly lucky, uh, about. And, um, they've all influenced me and, and helped me grow in different ways. Um, you know, I think, so that's a fairly standard answer, but I think it's it's been my bosses, which is a, I guess a lucky thing to be able to say. Um, I think know. we forget about how valuable like the people we're surrounded by, like how much they influence us, right? Like it's such a it's such a valuable experience to hear from them and watch their experiences and how they can they can add value to your future decisions. Right? Oh, for sure. I mean, absolutely. They're, it's it's so important on so many levels. I mean, you spend you know all of your time yeah. with these people, uh, and so you know liking them and. Being being inspired by them, I think, is is crucial. The, the other thing I'd say is, you know, Condé Nast as a company really values sort of artistry and and creative people, you know, in a way that I think is is unique even in this business. And that's a real luxury to yeah. work in a company that puts a very high priority on sort of making things that are great. Uh, and, and, you know, that gives you, you know, there's a responsibility that comes with that, but there's also, uh, you know, uh, a freedom and, and kind of a, a level of satisfaction that is hard to come by. So um, I'd say the the culture of Condé Nast actually is becoming a branded content piece for Condé Nast. But uh, the culture of Condé Nast has been, you know, both sort of influential and inspiring to me. It's amazing. So stories usually end with a final thought. And we'd love to just kind of have you recap your experience today and every any uh, final experiences or thoughts that you could share with our audience. I have a I have a second daughter due any day now, so that that <laughs> occupies most of my mind right now, and what I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, but I, I would say, you know, what has defined my career certainly to date and and continues to has been not only a comfort with change. You hear that a lot. You know, people have to be adaptable and comfortable with change, and that's becoming, you know, sort of a, I think a required skill for 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 this business certainly, but you know, an excitement with change, you know, a seeking out of change. You know, I, I, one thing I've, I've always done, you know, is almost a little exercise where I sort of say like, you know, is there any way I could make my current job sort of redundant or unnecessary uh, and sort of explore that idea? Uh, because that's the thing I fear the most, sort of having a role or, or doing something that really shouldn't be done by me anyway. Maybe it should live somewhere else in the company and always looking to make sure that everything I was doing was sort of incremental to what else existed and, and important, you know, relative to what the goals were. So, you know, that sort of constant examination and exploration of, of uh, kind of looking for reasons to evolve what I'm doing has served me well, uh, for sure. You know, and I, I continue to do that. Uh, I continue to do that now. And, and, you know, Lord knows there's, uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of things that uh, are changing and need yeah. to change. Yeah, definitely. So this has been so fascinating. What's the best way for people to connect with you? Um, like listeners of this podcast. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, send me an email, josh at condenast.com. Wow, that's yeah, very I'm throwing open. it out there. Yeah. Yeah. Is there only awesome. one Josh at uh, Condé Nast? <laughs> I know. It's, it's, uh, well, when you're the chief a, experience yeah. officer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a certain level. They let you have easy. just your first name. Yeah. Exactly. My last name's hard to pronounce. Or last hard to write. <laughs> I love it. Um, thank you so much for a great interview. It was so nice having you here. Um, so that's it for this episode of Content is Your Business. So until next time, Eddie Hertzman. Thank you so much, Josh. And Lisa Berger. Thank you very much. My name's Dahlia Strom. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to hear your story next time. You've been listening to Content Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for this show, or to become a sponsor, email us at contentshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Content Biz Show. That's Content B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, contentisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network and brought to you by 24-7 Talent. Connect with the best talent at 247talent.com. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.